Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode. It's our first episode of 2018! Ooh, the future is here! Oh my! Uh, yes, and to uh, celebrate the uh, the fact that we've all reached 2018, we are going to kick off this year with a month, that's right, a whole month, of Australian films. Uh, this podcast, for those of you who haven't been keeping up, is recorded in the fine country of Australia, and uh, January is the month which contains the uh, Australian national holiday, so we figured... Let's look at some Australian cinema. There is a grand history of cinema in Australia, lots of great films, things like Muriel's Wedding, Mad Max, The Castle, things of that nature. And we're going to look at a variety of Australian films over this month. And we're starting off with um, with a bit of an interesting one. It's Picnic at Hanging Rock. It was a film that was released in the late 1970s, uh, based off a novel which uh, has just turned... 50 years old. Joining me to review Picnic at Hanging Rock, we have, as always, two guests, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Katrina Johnston. Welcome back, Katrina. Thanks, Stephen. How are you going? Not too bad. Uh, how's 2018 treating you so far? Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I'm pretty bored, probably, because don't have much to do at the moment. Mm, yes. And uh, just a reminder, uh, you are a uh, lighting student at Whopper. Yes, I am. I'm currently on break, hence boredom. Mm-hmm. Um, and be I'll be starting my second year this year. Excellent. Uh, um, what are you most looking forward to lighting? Well, I'm this year I don't get to be a designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's third year. Um, mm. But one of the shows I'm most looking forward to at least seeing, although... Mm from memory, I'm not working on it, is um, they're doing a perform a production of The Crucible. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Perth-based residents, watch out for that. And uh, Perth-based residents should also watch out for our other guest. It's uh, John King. Uh, hello, John. Crikey. How you going, Cobber? Oh, excellent. Yes. Lovely, authentic Australian accent here. <laughs> and uh, just a reminder, John, uh, you work at the Nexus Theatre at Murdoch University. I do indeed. Uh, senior technician there at Murdoch. Um, heavily involved with the Murdoch theatre community and uh, uh, giving some basic skills to budding technicians, be they sound lights set. or set production, mm. whatever they want to do. Particularly set in your case. Only set, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really need some more design students. I really yeah. need them. Can we build it? Get John in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, Katrina, you haven't seen this film. No, I have not. What do you know about it? Um, I know the basic, basically what can be read off the back of the DVD. I'm also expecting uh, quite... A, um, to be honest, I'm expecting a bit of a boring film. Okay. Um, because I know it's from... an era of Australian film which from memory is a bit a bit stuck up its own ass. Mm. Um, that was the official name for the period yes, the uh, yes. stuck up its own ass period yep, yep. well Australians, well. Australians mm. would, would name a period of film like that. Indeed and um, uh, John yeah. you have seen this film I have um, in the 80s okay so a little <laughs> while ago so um, my recollection of it is bit sketchy mm-hmm. um, um, I remember some some interesting cinematography uh, a little bit of Vaseline on the lens maybe a bit of soft focusing okay um, is there something about aliens I, I, I can't really remember but I am interested to reminisce about it and see uh, what it's all about I know it was an important film in regards to Australian cinema the history of Australian cinema so um, yeah I'm keen to um, have a look what it was about and see if it 
reminds me. Yeah. All right. Well, with those ringing endorsements in our ears, <laughs> uh, shall we watch the film? Let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. All right, folks at home, uh, make sure to pop in your DVDs and uh, prepare your Valentine's Day cards as we prepare to watch Picnic at Hanging Rock. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching... Picnic at Hanging Rock, and by we, I of course mean Katrina. Hello. And John. Crikey, Stephen, that was a ripping yarn. Oh, uh, fair dinkum, John. It, it, it truly was. <laughs> you both hurt me. You physically hurt me with that. Well, at least I'm not trying to do the accent. As, <laughs> yes. as we've already established in this series, I, I cannot do the Australian accent. <laughs> so, Katrina, what did you think of Picnic at Hanging Rock? I honestly could not say any any anything concise anything coherent mm-hmm. um except if i met any of these women i'd probably want to smack them across the face they're so annoying mm. with the exception of the maid oh uh, played by jackie weaver yes minnie yes. she seems awesome yeah yeah she seemed all right she was she wasn't in it that much considering no. how large a credit jackie weaver had like yeah. she was fifth in the in the film credit um yeah. And she's in it for three, four scenes. Yeah, probably um, about ten minutes all up, if that. Yeah, if that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Minnie did seem all right. Yeah. Um, I thought Mademoiselle was 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 okay. I mean, oh, she was okay. She was pretty. She she had her heart in the right place. Yeah. At the very least, she seemed to actually genuinely care about the girls that she was yeah. looking after. Yeah. Just yeah. I yeah. These women just. <sighs> I'm like. John, I can't say anymore. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, it's tricky because this is a, an audio podcast, but we'll see if we can get some more words out of you. <laughs> well, just on that topic, I can't say anymore. Mm. No, that's fair. Uh, John, yes, this is your first yeah. time watching it since uh, since the since fall the of the 80s. Berlin Wall. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, how, how was it? How was it revisiting this? Um, I was trying, the things that I do remember, I do remember the the picnic scene itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the going up into the the rock itself, um, panpipes. I remember the yes, panpipes. Yes. Pan this pan film pipes. got its own panpipe credit. Yeah, panpipe. Sorry, yep. uh, credit. Oh, oh, sorry, flute de pan. Yeah, uh, as yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I remember the 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 screaming and uh, the Miranda don't go up there and the, sc- the random screaming and running yes. back down. Yes, mm. but majority of it I, I i don't remember so it was almost like watching it again to a to a certain degree yeah mm. i hadn't seen this film before and i didn't know the story other than some people go missing at a place called hanging rock um, which is an actual place i looked it up it's a place in victoria mm. um but the the events in this film are entirely fictional because mm. it's yes. based off a novel by the same name but uh given this film has been uh, relatively um, successful in terms of Australian films mm. and the novel itself is one which has uh, done pretty well as well. Uh, a lot of people believe that these it's based on real events. Yes, and to this day people still talk about, oh yeah, but it really happened even though mm. it didn't happen. It was a bit, a bit like the Blair Witch. You know, mm. you create that sort of false sort of myth. I mm. could imagine the author like reading, maybe reading something similar mm. Um, in the newspaper and going, oh, that would be a very interesting story. Um, or maybe there's even, like, you know, ghost stories around that place or something like that. Certainly. I mean, but we, but we do know that Joan Lindsay wrote mm. this book yeah. and, and that she said, yeah, it's not real, <laughs> guys. I'm, 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 this is a story, you know, it's fiction. Um, I, like, we, we've literally just finished watching it and, mm. and jumped on the mics and I think I actually quite liked it. It's it's weird. It's it's yeah. a very it's it's a long film. It's it's, it's a almost slow burner. and it is a slow burner. Yeah. But um, I found the mystery, I guess, of what actually happened at Hanging Rock, um, and and also the fact that that's never fully explained. But I, I think you get given enough little bits here and there to mm. sort of keep you going along. I I I think I enjoyed trying to discover things it is a slow burn and in fact it is a a slower burn than i think it needs to be yeah. but 
I also think it it fits the setting a little bit. You know, this is mm-hmm. uh, Australia in 1900. It's it's a weird mix of like the American Old West and uh, Victorian Regency England. Yeah. Um. So you have all these like, um, the the town is dusty and the church is up on a hill and it's all horses and carriages and people in not quite cowboy hats but you know in in those sorts of hats and in the dirt. But you also have this this uh, school, the, you know, the Appyard School for, for young girls who faint or whatever mm. it's called. Um, and Colonel, what's his name, who has the really awesome... Colonel Mustard? Oh, was it Colonel? No, Sergeant? The Sergeant, Colonel the guy with the dogs oh, yes. that was taking care of Irma. Um, and, you know, how they have, they go have a garden party and mm. things like that. And they've got the Victorian style, uh, English style police officers yeah. um, as well. It's, it is a, it is an interesting uh, setting and... But I agree. I, I think I think first and foremost, a lot of the characters are uh, a bit annoying, um, particularly the uh, the schoolgirls. But I think that's yeah. also because you look at the the culture that they're being raised in. You know, they're yep. raised to be dainty, and you may take your gloves off once you've passed through the town, girls. You know that kind of thing. Like, of course, that's going to make you into just... an insufferable prick. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, for for me, it's I understand that it is coming from that from that era of. Yeah, where women were were encouraged to be almost dolls rather than actual people, but I feel I feel like even then, and I feel like in a way the directors tried to see, particularly at the beginning, where they're all getting ready and reading each other poetry in a really weird cult-like manner. Mm. Um, it it feels like the director is trying to to get see see what's on the inside of these girls but he doesn't really Mm. and everything remains kind of surface level yeah or it remains two-dimensional or um almost cartoonish Mm. um like i think probably why the mademoiselle is probably the most interesting out of all of them is because she is given some depth and Mm. some some emotional management i, I guess like yeah, she's her and the headmistress i thought were mm. possibly the two characters that had the most depth yeah yeah no I, i'd agree with mm. that and i think it's certainly with mrs appleyard as we get yeah. into this we see her go through these moments of crisis and and it's it does get interesting but uh, i mean starting from the start we do get the opening title card which tells you some people are going to go missing later so watch <laughs> out for that um and it, it sets the tone, and then we have obviously yes, we have the uh, flute de pan uh, playing over lots of scenes. We As have... we uh, tripped off into the Andes, uh, it wasn't Hanging Rock anymore. We went to the Andes. Yes, it, yeah, with it, that it did feel a bit like that. <laughs> you know, like you know, if you don't take a Sherpa, it's, it's you're going to get lost. Indeed. Although I will say though, having been to the Andes before, the rocks in the Andes don't look like that. And are there less uh, Victorian schoolgirls wandering yep. around? Oh, I don't know. I. I <laughs> I imagine you could go find somewhere. There'd be someone filling that niche. Mm, fair enough. The world is a very weird place. There's a there's a lot of shots of uh, Australian countryside, which, uh, mm. I, you know, as it's fitting our theme of Australia Month, I'm quite pleased with. Uh, yeah. We're seeing a lot of uh, the beautiful uh, South Australian countryside uh, where this place was shot um, predominantly. Um, and at one point, Katrina, you, you said while we were watching it, it was as though the... The film is trying to make the the environment a character. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I I think that reads very true. It it does feel as though it gets a lot of screen time to the point yeah. where it almost feels like an antagonistic force in the script. I I didn't feel like I felt like the director was trying to make the landscape a character, but I don't think he succeeded. I feel like I've seen other films, none of which are coming to mind. Um, where they have actually succeeded in doing that. Mm. Um, it felt more... Whilst I think I understood that he was trying to do that, mm. it felt more to me that all the scenes, uh, all the shots of just the rocks and the and the animals and things like that were just filler. Okay. Yeah, For I- me, it didn't add any any sense of foreboding or any sense of antagonism or anything like that. I, I found with shots of the rock, particularly what they were doing with the soundtrack, where you mm. had these sort of almost like these deep rumbles, like yeah. like uh, tectonic plates moving against each other. I found that worked quite well for me. Yeah. I do agree some shots were just there because, oh, we happen to film a lizard in a cool position. Uh, yeah. Let's include that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree with you with the um, bits where they've added that rumbling and that mm. sort of sense of unease. Mm. 
Yeah, in um, regards to the rock, um, so where I grew up was South Australia in the wheat belt uh, of Air Peninsula, and the countryside in the film is pretty much exactly the same as where I grew up. And in those areas, we had a place called uh, Caraloo Bluff, and there was lots of rock formations. So generally a very flat landscape, but every now and then there'd be a rock formation or like Caraloo, which was a bluff. Mm. And those places were always quite quite magical, uh, okay. especially as a child. Uh, and we would have at Caraloo Bluff, we would have an annual picnic oh. at the bluff. There we go. Uh, and also at a place called Dark Peak, which wasn't uh, too far away. And there was something about those areas because as kids, we'd always go off and explore. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that sounds just like the movie. Mm-hmm. And there were things that were eerie, creepy, magical. So watching the film did bring back a lot of nostalgia for me in regards to the countryside as mm-hmm. well as the rock. And um, growing up uh, with that, um, I did relate a little bit to the whole... Um, magical rock formations and mystery mm. and a bit creepy and stuff like that. And I think some of the shots in this film are done very deliberately to seem as though you are viewing the... when the girls are exploring yeah. for the rock, yeah. as though you're viewing it not quite from the rock's point of view, but from uh, from some sort of other presence which yes. is observing them. Like yeah. the, the shots of them where 80% of the screen is, is dark because mm. yeah, the rocks are in the way, but you see these gaps and you see the, I the really girls wandering through. I really liked those shots. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought there, was some, there were moments in this film that were absolutely beautiful yes, to yes. look at. Um, yeah, and really, I think, yeah, did, did create that magic. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, did create another presence... I feel like if this film was made again mm-hmm. today, I'd really hope that they would bring in some sort of concept of um, the indigenous culture and, mm. and because th- those kind of places usually have some sort of story behind them and they have um, a mythology usually explaining why... Like almost using the indigenous culture to explain why these girls have gone missing hmm. or something. Um, we didn't really have much of an indigenous presence in this film. We, yeah. we essentially had uh, one tracker who was in a couple of scenes who was essentially brought in when there were the search parties because obviously mm. uh, the uh, indigenous trackers um, know the lay of the land, particularly yeah. in uh, the, the turn of the previous century. Mm. Um, that that um, knowledge was still uh, extremely prevalent yeah um but yeah aside from that this was a very this was essentially a regency england uh film but uh set in the australian outback uh, you might be pleased to know that there is a remake of this uh, as a tv series really oh, is it? yeah it's oh. coming out uh it's coming out later this year in 2018 uh, foxtel have been uh making a tv series adaption i don't know how it would go as a tv series mm. because interesting like it is, it is. I th- I think there's enough in it. Obviously, I've never read the book, so there might be more storylines within that. There's mm. enough in it to f- do a film. Mm. I don't know if I. I mm. Well, it's starring Natalie Dormer as well um, from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, she's playing Mrs. Appleyard. Ah. Mm. So that could be interesting having a that, yeah i mean mm. she's a fair bit younger well, as yeah. a series you'd be able to flesh out the characters a lot more and, mm. and um build that mystery of... yeah i mean personally with the characters obviously we we, we are introduced to these these schoolgirls at the beginning as that they're reading poetry and getting in a corset line and doing up all their their bits as they prepare to go out uh for this picnic mm. and uh, there is the character of sarah uh, and Miranda, and we see in an interaction at the beginning of the, beginning of the film that, um, you know, their friends, Sarah, um, is, it would seem, is infatuated mm. with, with Miranda. Um, and they all go on this picnic with the exception of Sarah, who is kept behind. Um, and, you know, we see that, you know, there's Edith who complains a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... Um, um Irma and um these girls they're all out at the rock and they're having this picnic and they decide that you know they they they're young they want to go and explore things so they decide to go and uh, go measure the base of the rock as part of their activities uh which I'm is I'm pretty sure I've had students with those kind of excuses mm. so they can just go go out of the classroom oh miss I need to go hand something to this other teacher mm. I'm like yeah sure whatever mm. 
<laughs> and uh, and they they're allowed to. Uh, yeah. The the supervising uh, teachers uh, allow them to go, and uh, they go and they start climbing the rock. And about ten minutes later, they're still climbing the rock, but they're they're, they're starting to slowly change. We see that they um, they they take their shoes off and they walk barefoot mm. for a bit, um, which you know Edith is very affronted by. You know, the like scandal. Yeah, and then they remove their stockings, and one of them's dancing, and then they lie down for a bit, and then three of them, uh, led by Miranda, go further up the rock, and Edith starts to freak out and says, no, you can't, you can't, and then screams for about 30 seconds and runs back down. Um, and we end up with this scene uh, back at the college at 10, 10.30 at night, mm. where the carriage returns but those three girls are missing uh, along with um one of the teachers miss McGraw. McGraw yeah and um that 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 sequence on the rock it it's good but it, i mean it is a bit long i i think to yeah. be to be perfectly frank bit drawn out yeah <laughs> but mm. maybe that's also part of it that sort of like th- that impression of being lulled of yep. being that languid Afternoon, yeah. Um, in in the also heat. with the with the watches stopping and everything, mm. whether it was uh, the way they were trying to reflect that time was slowing and stopping. Mm. Yeah, and th- that was it was weird, but interesting weird. I think it kind of reflects a, a concept that back in year twelve I studied this book for um for English called Remembering Babylon, mm-hmm. and it was set earlier than this film. Um, but it deals a lot with how white people interact with the Australian landscape mm. and how white people are not very good at interacting with the Australian landscape. It freaks, it freaks them out yeah. because they, they can't understand it and it is quite alien to them. Um, and, and, how, and, and when you can't understand these kind of things, you start... Yeah, you feel very standoffish to it, and I mm. think I think it's interesting that you could very well say that the the girls have gone missing just because the landscape ate them, so to speak. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it it is an in- interesting interpretation. Um, you you'd also made the comment as we were watching it that this feels very um, well. It had a very literary feel. I, I was mm. getting a, a sort of theatrical impression as part of it, and. Um, Obviously, it comes from from a novel. It do, it yeah. it does feel like being back in year twelve English somewhat a little yeah. bit. Um, unfortunately, I had to do Cloud Street, so I would have much preferred this. I think because <laughs> oh boy, Tim Winton, yikes! Uh, but mm. yes, um, whilst the girls are up on the mountain and, and uh, exploring, um, we're also introduced to the characters of uh, Michael and Albert. Uh, these two young lads. Michael's from a well-to-do family, and Albert is, I guess, one of their stable boys yeah it looks like it yeah played by john jarrett uh who will no doubt make an appearance at some point later uh if we ever cover wolf creek (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah seeing babyface john jarrett was quite quite a thrill um uh, a couple of people actually it was nice to see because i didn't didn't expect to see as many people as we recognized we already discussed jackie weaver as many and uh uh, norman gunston as one of the police officers which for uh if you're not from Australia, you might not be familiar with uh, Norman Gunston. How, how would you best describe him, John? Oh, classic. He, he used to always remind me of my father because my father would always, after a shave, would have the little bits of um, cigarette paper, paper stuck, to his, stuck to his face where he'd cut himself. Uh, yeah, so a very awkward, um, hair-slicked-back reporter. Mm. Uh, it was a comedian, not really a reporter. Mm. Um, he was, where was he at? He was at a, a very famous political event. That uh, wasn't he at? Wasn't he on the steps of Parliament yes, when Gough Whitlam yes, announced he was. that he was yes. kicked out? Yes, he was, <laughs> and and was taken for a serious journalist. But he's basically he a comedian wasn't. provocateur, really. Yeah. He was the chasers before the chasers existed. Yep. Mm. Yes. But yeah, it was it's nice seeing him getting just some regular acting work yeah. as part of this. Yeah. Um, Yes, so uh, but we see uh, young Albert and Michael, and Michael sees the girls and is uh, makes a a sort of connection with Miranda that that their eyes uh, meet across a, a deserted Australian landscape, and then she skips off and and disappears into the, into the uh, hanging rock, mm. and this connection keeps coming back for Michael. He finds himself unable to 
uh, sleep after the disappearance. He's waking up in cold sweats. He uh, decides to go to the rock to see if he can find the girls um, and drags Albert along. And he ends up going a bit doolally on the rock and having to be rescued. Um, but having found like a scrap of a dress and that leads to Albert eventually rescuing uh, Irma, who is found miraculously still alive. Despite a week later. A week later yeah. with only like... Um, uh, cuts and like damage to her hands and, and nails and aside mm-hmm. from that she wasn't majorly dehydrated or and she's still intact yeah thankfully oh my god yes, yes. When, sorry whenever the, uh, a young lady was uh, examined uh, medically by by the doctor uh, he, he always had to make sure they were intact which is a delightful uh, victorian phrase to mean that uh, there had been no uh, sexual penetration basically yeah um it was uh, katrina this this riled you a little bit it's just it was kind of weird how sexual how undertone sexual sexuality was let me start that again go ahead it was kind of weird how in the film that sexuality was just sort of simmering under the surface Mm. for so much of it and and in some cases unnecessarily Mm. like it was interesting to see the relationship between sarah and miranda you know with the undertones of lesbianism and a couple of the other ones you were like oh maybe maybe they've been gotten a bit friendly after lights out that kind of thing Mm. and just this very strange it's gonna sound strange but pulsing of sexuality uh whenever miranda is mentioned as well Mm. um and then constantly like these girls have just been out wandering in the bush, most likely not near anyone else, mm. but you need to make sure that they haven't been molested. Mm. It's Well, why else would a young girl go disappearing? Because some awful criminal has gone and found them and, and had their way with them. Yeah. It, but, but, I mean, that, that sense of, um, I believe as they would phrase it, purity, that yeah. sense of... Um, you know, maintaining one's womanhood and that kind of thing. It, you know, it, it's it's a it's essentially a finishing school that that they're mm. at, at Apple Yards, and you know, uh, it, it's, it's scandal enough that some of them have gone missing. But if some of them have been having sex as well, well, yeah. you know, it's it is really interesting, and it's it's one of those things about the Victorian mindset which is really. Uh, interesting that sort of Victorian England era mindset of where everyone was very repressed and they've got like the the super high collars and everyone's very restrained and everyone's wearing corsets and keep your gloves on and things like that Mm. and I think that may have made them a lot kinkier than they would have otherwise been (laughs) I think think, um, it certainly had it was a sex-obsessed culture, despite the fact that they never discuss sex in yes. polite company. Yeah. Um, no sex, please. We're British. Exactly. Um, and I actually thought there was a bit of a, uh, like, a bit of sparks flying between Michael and Albert. Yes, definitely. I, I think that, that like, it, there was there was a bit of a. I, I think maybe Albert quite liked Michael. Yeah, yep. I never I never got that. Yep. Yeah. There was definitely a bromance there. Definitely. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, Albert was very keen on, like, looking after him and protecting him, and mm. um, it, it it did read as though there was there was a, a connection, maybe not um, a, romantic. A, a romantic connection, but it potentially could have been leading that way. I mean... Yeah. I, mean I, definitely, I definitely got a, an unusual friendship vibe, so yeah. to speak. Uh, unusual in the, in the sense that um, Albert's obviously very aware of Michael's status. Mm. Um, and and kind of cautiously approaching a friendship mm. with Michael because of that status. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. It, it just read as though there was there was some potentially romantic undertones to like maybe if they'd Most stayed at, maybe if he'd stayed the night at, at the Hanging Rock, something might have happened. Mm. Oh, Brokeback Mountain well, scene there. Precisely. Yeah. So it's mm. um, yeah, it it is interesting that you have this 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 film and this story, which is. Uh, set in this very repressed time and you've got mm. these little like bursts of um of, of this um undercurrent of sexuality yeah. as you say that that seem to be coming through um and it is it is a very self-contained uh and indeed sort of repre- repressed world that they're living mm. in uh, and you know the, the the keeping up of appearances seems to be very important and yep. obviously when uh the press start coming around and reporting on it and Mrs. Appleyard is is 
upset because that means that they've already already three 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 groups of parents have, have informed me that they're going to be withdrawing their their girls from the school, mm. and that gets worse as it goes on. And we see Miss Lumley hand in her notice um, two thirds of the way through, and it's all falling apart um, around including her, including Mrs. Appleyard's hair. Yes, yes, the wonderful. Uh, in fact, pretty incredible bonnet, uh, beehive mm. do that she had mm. uh, f- throughout that film was was pretty sensational. It's extraordinary. Mm. Um, it's a feat of architectural engineering. Mm. She's a really interesting character, uh, Mrs. Appleyard, because you know she is very stern Victorian schoolhouse mom. But mm. I-, I think throughout this film, she gets painted as a sympathetic character, despite the fact that she is very austere to the point of almost cruelty. Mm. It could be said. But I don't think she ever actually is cruel. To be honest, I think everyone in this film is probably painted in quite a sympathetic light. Like, even the the police officer who, you know, he he doesn't achieve much, really. Mm. Um, but he's still... You're shown that he's concerned and that he's genuinely trying his hardest. Yeah. Um, I can't really think of anyone who's painted in a negative light. No, there was no real villains in it at all. Maybe, maybe Miss Lumley a little bit because I mean she has Sarah yeah, tied maybe. up for her uh, for oh, her yeah. for her stoop. Oh, yes, her dreadful stoop. Yes, uh, she had her um, in in the what was it the Temple of Calisthenics? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the dance school. Yeah, she had her tied up uh, to try and improve her posture. Um, but even then, Miss Lumley, I think, was just a an overworked teacher and I don't mm. think they should ever be considered the villains um, <laughs> uh, but yes um, uh, but I, I think the, the thing that really struck me from this with Mrs. Appleyard was just before she goes in to say to Sarah mm. you're going back to the orphan- orphanage is we have her we see like just a, a brief like three second mm. shot of her rehearsing what she's going to say just saying you know it's essentially the it's for your own good Uh, or I can't help you I've done all I can yeah that sort of thing and then she comes in and she delivers it very austere and very Mm. contained to to Sarah knowing that it's devastating news that she has to go back to the orphanage yeah Um, and afterwards she's she's crying in her office and it's it's just quite it's just sad Uh, and I think also part of the reason that everything is sympathetic is because nothing that happens the disappearance of the girls isn't anyone's fault yeah um i mean certainly i don't think any of the characters are set up in this film to have been people who were responsible for it happening Mm. um i think early on you're looking at the fact that michael's there is going maybe he could have been up to something but then very quickly throughout the film we see no he he wasn't involved at all see that Um, he's quite upstanding really yeah and goes to the point of driving himself mad essentially trying trying to uh, help save them and um yeah it's it's just a very it, it's a very sad film really very sad story it is and i think in some ways it kind of mimics from what i've heard of what it's like to 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 be in that situation of knowing someone who's missing and in in some ways i've i think i've heard people who who have spoken about what it's like to have a family member or a, a loved one who's gone missing, it's quite difficult because you never get that closure. You never know if this mm. is the day that you're going to hear that they're back mm. or that they're dead or or you just have to keep on suffering. Mm. Um, and I think it, I think throughout the characters it does, it does quite well in giving that, giving that sense um, of what it's like. Mm. to go through that kind of experience. We see a little bit of that with uh, uh, Mademoiselle uh, de Poitiers uh, mm. when um, Irma is found. Yeah. And they say they found Irma and she immediately goes, the others? And the, there's obviously no sign of the others. And yeah. she is kind of like, she's glad that Irma has been found. And we see when she interacts with Irma, she's relieved. Um, but there is still that anchoring sadness of mm. only one of them has returned. Yeah. Um, and then that scene with Irma in the the Temple of Calisthenics where... The she, girls attack her. Yeah, she, she's brought in. She's about to go off to Europe. Um, her parents are like, nah, <laughs> had enough of this. We're, go, we're going back overseas. Um, and, you know, you, you've been allocated 10 minutes to, to speak to her. And they just go mad, you know, going, what happened? You did it. All that kind of stuff. And end up everyone just breaks down in tears and it's it it is 
really, uh, it's a confronting and quite scary scene, mm. to be honest. Um, you know, because Irma has no memory. She doesn't know what happened. Um, it's, yeah, it's, the, the the more I think about it, the more I think I quite like this film. I, I think there's, I, I, I can certainly see why mm. it has become a film that is considered uh, an Australian film uh, icon or like a significant film from, yeah. from this country. Mm. But at the same time, it's not great. It, like there are yeah. some somewhat obvious flaws to it. Uh, it's long. Um, they, they didn't obviously have slow motion uh, cameras yeah. because yeah. that sequence at the end, uh, as we pointed out, is a little bit jumpy because they've tried to slow it down yeah. and they've only got it's so many painful. frames. When the story finished... And I'm curious to see what you, what you two feel about this. Um, did you feel as though... Did you have a sense of what you're ending it there? Or did it feel like a, a, a natural conclusion? Uh, John, where, where were you at with, with that? Yeah, the ending with the narration. Mm. I'm never a fan of that. Um, uh, it didn't need to do that. Um, it could have finished with um, the headmistress walking up into the to the the rock itself and that could have ended like that that could have been quite mm. interesting yeah um yeah but I, um, I don't think it needed to do anything else i think it had done all that all that needed it to to tell mm. the story um uh, yeah no um i think the ending sort of ended when it should have ended mm. do you think it's a better story for not revealing what happened Oh, very much so. Mm. Very much so. You start spelling that out and it's, uh, it suddenly becomes a, a movie for idiots. You've got to spell everything out for everyone. Uh, yeah, let people make up their own minds. Um, uh, was it aliens? Um, was it some sort of jumping into mean jumping into a different dimension? Did they just fall down a crack in the rock and they never found them? Um, yeah, make up your own mind. Okay, Katrina? Um, yeah, I agree with John. I think it ended when it when it needed to, and it seemed quite a natural point because they've obviously ended it when, well, what seemed to me at the end of the school term. Mm. So yeah, that seemed quite natural. Um, yeah, I agree. the The voiceover was quite heavy handed. Mm. Um, interestingly, and you might have this on your trivia. Mm-hmm. I looked on uh, Wikipedia. Th- the original novel was supposed to have a chapter explaining what happened. Um, but Joan Lindsay's editor said, take it out. Okay. Before publishing. And she did. Mm. And she's like, yeah, it's a much stronger book for mm. it. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel like they could they, they could have gone much more. Yeah. I mean, once once you've had the, the, um, the Sarah's death, her suicide, mm. uh, where she's jumped off the top of the school into the greenhouse... Um, it, it that sort of feels like that, that's a bit of a full stop mm. on on the film. And to be honest, thinking about it, the, the character of, of Sarah kind of feels like a bit of a weak point in the film. It, for for me, I, I I mean, it's yeah, I I just feel as though that character could have been more. Could have could have been more. Yeah. And, but didn't, did she? She didn't, could have. She could have been. Similar to Mademoiselle, mm. uh, in that she's a survivor. Yeah. Um. And but I think, and then you could have explored a very different tact because I think it's pretty clear that she's pining. She's either got a bit of a girl crush, mm. um, on on Miranda, or there's they've actually had a relationship. Yeah. Um. And it would be interesting to explore so, that kind of relationship when she can't really mourn her yeah not only because she's not entirely sure if she's dead but Mm. also because she can't fully express if she is a lesbian or true i mean or any any type of more than friendly and familial emotion yeah because we see her leaving the flowers that miranda likes by the picture and then uh, mademoiselle comes in she stops very suddenly and then chooses to continue to explaining because it's mademoiselle and we have this trust yeah um but Sarah, to me, feels like a minor character that was elevated to a main character status. Yeah. Um, I don't really feel as though having as much focus on her in the film really benefited the story that much. No, I, I, no it I, didn't. Yeah, I, I certainly think it, it was important to have that character and to have that survivor and to have that, um, 
you know, that concept of a um, having a potentially gay uh, character in mm. this situation, um, it's certainly interesting, but I, I just don't feel as though it was... I, 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 to be honest, I feel as though it was overutilized. I, I think yeah. it, it could have been something that added to the world without being a big focus. Like the scenes, the scenes that she was in themselves, they were quite good. Yeah, but and yeah, it didn't. Yeah, the more I think about it, it didn't add anything else. Yeah, um, it, yeah, and all she, she almost felt like a a device for other characters to express their their feelings. She's essentially used by. The various teachers, you know, Miss mm. Lumley's frustrated and and ties her up. Uh, Miss Appleyard has essentially this conflict where she has to make this hard decision to get rid of her, mm. uh, and that's a consequence of what's happened at the Hanging Rock. Uh, you know, Mademoiselle empathizes with her, and and you know we see um, her maintaining an interest in Sarah. You know, saying is she going to be coming back when mm. Appleyard has, has sent her away? But yeah, I think ultimately the character just doesn't really stand up. Um, to the amount of importance that's placed on her by the film. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I I found it odd as well the connection between Sarah and Albert. Um, oh yeah, the the fact they're siblings. Yeah, they're siblings, and I'm just like, well, why wasn't that explored more? It was kind of chucked in mm. in the last yeah. twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I having not read the book, I don't know if there was more in the book where maybe, maybe they met, mm. uh, and maybe that was removed maybe that's something we'll get in the tv series that's coming up yeah or maybe in the book it's i i wouldn't i don't think they would have met in the book judging from what how they did it in the film Mm. i think maybe there's a bit more to their past though yeah yeah i mean it it did feel as though they were were going somewhere and then they didn't Mm. um i don't know how many of you uh here or indeed at home have seen the last jedi by now um have we seen it yeah no. You haven't? <gasps> okay. Uh, I will stop making that comparison. <laughs> um, it's it's not a major thing. It's just a, a thing about maybe some slightly unfulfilled plot lines, uh, potentially. But we'll leave that there. <laughs> so, uh, I've got some trivia from IMDb. Nice. Uh, there is some. There's not a huge amount. Um, although, uh, a, good, a good one to get cracking with. The executive producer of the film, Patricia Lovell, uh, admits to being genuinely afraid of Hanging Rock. Um, in an interview, she explained that she has only gone back once since the filming. It was 10 years afterwards in 1985, mm. and she said that uh, she is so frightened um, of the location that she left almost immediately and has refused to ever go back. Wow. Yeah. As um, I said, they can be really ominous and creepy places. Mm. I'd be very interested to see what kind of stories the indigenous um, population of that area have about Hanging Rock, Mm, about the actual place. Um, Whether it is a place that where like trickster spirits live or something like that. Yeah, yeah, because it's always always interesting when... um, cultures collide almost with the landscape uh not much acting was required in the scenes with mrs appleyard and and her students as their real life relationship was apparently quite tense excellent uh rachel roberts who played mrs appleyard preferred acting to a piece of tape on a wall instead of having the girl standing there oh (laughs) that's rough (laughs) oh that's excellent it is uh, Twelve of the schoolgirls were played by South Australians. Director Peter Weir wanted girls who were less influenced by the modern world to play the turn-of-the-century schoolgirls. <laughs> and he found out that most of them, uh, he, he because they were provincial South Australian yeah. girls, he was like, oh, they don't know anything about what the rest of the world's like. Oh How rude. <laughs> I'm so sorry, John. <laughs> well, John, in your opinion... Would would that have been reasonably accurate? Oh, you, you think uh, in the late seventies, if they're they, taken from small country towns, most definitely. Because mm. these girls probably well, because you were how old did we work out you were when the film came out? Uh, what was it? Seventy seventy eight was when it was released. Seventy eight. So I was seven. There you go. Yeah. So you could be one of those little lads chasing the car. Could have been. Oh, that would have been good. Um. The voices of some of the schoolgirls were actually later dubbed in by professional voice actors. I'm not surprised. Uh, the voice actors are not credited, though. 
Mm. Um, Christine uh, Schuler, who played Edith, uh, had her entire voice dubbed over by the actress Barbara Llewellyn. I'm surprised that Edith is dubbed over because mm. I was because her voice sounds quite different from all the others, mm. and it's always interesting in these kind of films where you have the very upper crust English accent, and then you've got someone like John Jared or Jackie Weaver coming in with sounding quite ochre, mm. and it's oh, it's quite jarring at mm. occasionally, but it's. It's so good. <laughs> um, Tony Ingram, who was a 14-year-old filmmaker at the time, uh, got permission to adapt the book into a film called The Day of St. Valentine. Mm. Uh, he had filmed about 10 minutes of footage before the film rights were then optioned to Peter Weir. Um, and Ingram's production was permanently shelved. However, the footage from this uh, shelved film is included on some DVD releases of uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. So Ooh. I think that's quite nice. That's interesting. That is nice. Yeah, the fact they went, you know, this 14-year-old's gone, I'm just going to adapt this this book <laughs> into a film. Uh, watch me go. And then is unfortunate in that the rights are sold at that time. It's mm. kind. That's kind of surprising considering the book came out in the late 60s. 67, 67. I um, So, you know, and this was made, you know, 10 years later. Mm. It's kind of surprising that, you know, even in ten years, they're going. Oh, yeah, this fourteen-year-old's asked for the rights. Yeah, we'll we'll potentially give it to him. Um, that like, I can't imagine a book nowadays after ten years going. Oh, yeah, this fourteen-year-old wants to make a film. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, wait, sorry, got a real film writer, hmm. a filmmaker. There are several times during the story in which clocks and watches stop for no apparent reason. Hmm. Author Joan Lindsay was well known amongst her friends for having the peculiar quality of unintentionally stopping watches and clocks in her vicinity, a phenomenon that occurred and was recorded at many times during her life. So apparently the author just was always around when clocks stopped. And so she worked it into the story as like a, ooh, isn't this spooky kind of thing. I googled uh, the book and obviously in Google search it comes up with sometimes uh, related books or related or books by the um, by the other books by the author and she's got a book which is like out of time called out of time or something mm. so that's quite funny time related stories I yeah. like it mm. and finally this is an interesting one um, mm-hmm. so let, let's see what we think although the film doesn't show how Sarah dies there are indications in the film which I admittedly didn't pick up on mm. that Mrs. Appleyard may have murdered her well, didn't they? Didn't when she say that she was picked up? And yeah. Then, so she liked trying to hide it. Yeah, mm. which it, I mean, because we we don't see her actually leaving to go to the orphanage. We see a carriage outside with a bunch of yep. boxes, but we don't actually know if that's there for Sarah. Yep. Yeah. During the last conversation between Mrs. Appleyard and Sarah, Mrs. Appleyard appears depressed, um, and she also lies to uh, Mademoiselle uh, that it was her guardian, Mr. Cosgrove, that came and took her away. Now, yeah. I read that as her trying to protect Mademoiselle's sort of like instinct of like yep. trying to nurture and look after this yeah. this yep. girl. Yep. Um, but it does feed into a, a a more sinister subplot potentially. Yeah. In, in that sense. Um. Mrs. Appiard tells Mademoiselle that she won't be coming to luncheon and that they shouldn't lay places for both Mrs. Appleyard and for Sarah. And immediately after the conversation, Mrs. Appleyard becomes nervous. Um, when Whitehead confronts Appleyard about Sarah's death, Mrs. Appleyard is calm in full morning dress with her possessions packed. Um, which is is interesting, I guess. Yeah, I'd never picked that. I was just like, oh, she's obviously... Because... Prior, just prior to that, we have the scene where Mademoiselle is waving off the girls mm. as obviously terms finished or something. Um, yeah, I never picked that. And and other people have pointed out uh, that it, that it, it seems strange that Sarah would kill herself when she um, is hoping to see her brother again someday. Yeah. When she talks about Bertie and wants mm-hmm. to see him, um, it it just seems unlikely. She was going back to the orphanage, which she had horrible memories of. So hmm. to go back to a place like that, uh, you mm. could see how a young woman would want to top herself. Like, it feels like the whole Sarah storyline should be a separate film. Yeah, mm. it should be fleshed I out. I mean, in, in the book, yeah. um, Sarah 
did commit suicide. She oh, actually okay. left a suicide letter. But I think it's interesting that this filmic adaption has left it a lot more open-ended. Mm. Yeah. Um, although, admittedly, I, I didn't read that at all. I, I sort of missed the whole, oh, yeah, of course, Mrs. Appleyard murder, murdered her um, option. Mm-mm. It just didn't strike me as being something that was going to happen. Um, but yeah. there's, there's something there, potentially. It's it's interesting. Yeah. But like the rest of this film, it's mysterious and unexplained. Yeah. Ooh. So. The Australian Twilight Zone. <laughs> let's score the film. Uh, we'll start with you, Katrina. This was your first time watching uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock. What what would you give it out of 10? Um, this is really quite difficult because I don't think I would ever watch this film again. Okay. But. It was, there were moments of it that were very beautiful and I really liked other moments of it. Um, I think it does come at a very awkward time in Australian cinema mm-hmm. where, and maybe in just cinema because it's 70s, they seem to have a really weird grasp of how people spoke. Mm. Um, so that all taken into account, I think I'd probably give it six and a half ridiculously long screams excellent out of uh john what, what what would you give the film um oh, a bit like uh you katrina i don't think it'd be something i'd go back and watch again um i still think it's a very important film in regards to the the history of australian filmmaking mm. i'm generally pretty harsh in my scoring um i will give it a four and a half that's pretty harsh that is pretty i'm harsh. always pretty harsh mm, fair enough um, and for me, I mean, I I did quite like it. Despite that, I'm not in any rush to watch this again. Mm. Um, I, I think I don't think it's the sort of thing that you sit down and go, oh boy, you know, I feel like watching Picnic at Hanging Rock. <laughs> yes. um, I think it's more just something that that happens as opposed to you really wanting to see it. But mm. it's, I think there's a lot in this film which is good. I think it's really, um, it's a very strong film from from a very young Peter Weir. Uh, and I think it's evident that he obviously had a knack for this that we mm. would later see in things like Gallipoli and uh, mm. The Truman Show. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I I, I, I quite liked it. Um, I, I would probably give it... I'd probably give it seven um, swans in my bedroom out of ten. <laughs> bedroom swans, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That whole swan visage thing that he had comparing the yeah. swan to Miranda was kind yeah. of interesting. Um, so I think I think it just goes with um, the fact that he had this connection with Miranda, but with, I think, more the ideal of Miranda, not actually her as a person. Mm. Excellent. Well, uh, Katrina and John, thank you very much for reviewing Picnic at Hanging Rock. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you for having us, Stephen. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening to this first of five Australian films that we'll be looking at in the month of January. For more information about uh, this podcast series, you can go to thoughtjarproductions.com. We can also be found on Facebook. Just search for The Cinema Catch-Up Club. And if you want to listen to any of our back catalogue, we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any podcasting or podcatching service. So just search for The Cinema Catch-Up Club there. Uh, But that's all. So uh, until next time... Goodbye. Goodbye, Miranda. <laughs> you have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.